Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host, Valerie. I'm so excited to have you guys here with me today to share a couple of thoughts I have. We're going to talk about science today. Okay, well, we're going to kind of talk about science. I That'll be funny to anyone who knows me really well as I talk about the idea of becoming a, a scientist in the gospel realm, especially because as I was actually thinking about this episode and what I wanted to say, I was whisked back into time into a BYU student time warp of the early 90s, remembering having taken some sort of an introductory science class. Don't get too impressed because it wasn't anything on the upper levels. And I studied and studied and studied, went and took the test in the BYU testing center. And the little printout, you know, sent me my score right off the bat. And it was so bad that I literally thought that I that I like somehow mismarked it, you know, like I got like one number off or whatever. <laughs> so I asked them to rerun it and no, by golly, it was actually that bad. <laughs> so anyways, that's where, you know, I'm not like leading with a lot of credibility here. However, having said that, we're going to take the science topic in a slightly different direction. So don't worry, you're not in um, terribly bad hands here because we're going to talk a little bit about social science, sociology, and then we're going to move over to how to become a scientist, or maybe we already are scientists and we can just um, validate how important it is that we be scientists. So let's start with a little bit of a scripture chase because I did in fact try to do my homework and was unsuccessful. Clearly I'm not a scientist or a scriptorian as I am proving to you today. You guys are all going to probably, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to suspect that you probably are going to be able to at least recognize what I'm about ready to invite you to go look up on your own. Think back, if you would, to, I think it's a general conference talk, and I'm not going to even be able to guess. I don't even want to guess who it's from because I'm going to probably be wrong. So anyways, do you guys remember the talk that we heard maybe within, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 years ago that really heavily discouraged and even condemned living the gospel of Jesus Christ from an a la carte perspective. It was sort of a, you're all in or you're all out. You don't get to choose to live the gospel as if you're like reading a menu. I'm, I'm having like a, an all you can eat sort of buffet approach sort of visual in my mind. So maybe that's why I was struggling. Maybe, I don't know if he said a la carte or if he said buffet style Whatever the case may be, I jumped onto my little search bar on my LDS tools and I couldn't find it. So if you guys can figure it out and the first one who can figure it out, jump jump onto my Instagram account at Latter-day Struggles Podcast. Will you please tell me where I can find this? I, I know it's there. And one of the reasons why I know it's there is because this very topic seems to have had some staying power. It's stuck. Some things are stickier than others. And by golly, this is a sticky one. Um, I don't have memories of it being spoken about frequently, but I do have memories of it being spoken about at least once, but it is it is brought up in a number of gospel conversations that I have with folks that are of the more orthodox flavor. So the idea there being, of course, and I'll be brief on this because I think we all know what the idea is, it is that you take it or leave it. You're all in or you're all out. You believe it all or, or you're of little faith, you're a doubter, and there's really um, less of a place for you in the at the table of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I have um, in my past lives, one of my, in my past, 
I was one of those who thought, well, that's what they say. So I guess that's how it is. And even if I have any questions or concerns or something doesn't add up or make sense, well, we all have one of those, or at least we used to have, we're working on decluttering those shelves, but we would put those questions, concerns, the um, inaccuracies or, you know, the way different people interpreted different things. We just loaded that shelf right on up. And there was a lot of evading and avoiding of thinking about and really pondering and processing questions that complicated the gospel is not a buffet sort of approach. It really led to a lot of cognitive dissonance, at least for me. Okay, so I want to just read for a second something that has impacted me by an author by the name of Armand Moss, excuse me, Armand Moss, M-A-U-S-S, if you want to look into more of his writings. This is where we come to the part where we're going to talk at least for a minute about science. This man is by training a sociologist, and he is incorporating and integrating how his background as a sociologist has blessed him and helped him to have what I would consider an incredibly psychologically mature ability to integrate complexity in the gospel into his own relationship with himself and with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and specifically with his relationship with his membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Allow me for a moment to read a few things that he has to say. I think you will like them. I hope you will like them. I know I sure did. He says this, my background in sociology allows me to a kind of detached scholarly perspective necessary to understand and appreciate the church as an essentially human institution. And then in his own words, he says, as a matter of personal belief, I am convinced that Joseph Smith had a number of encounters with deity or the supernatural. I don't subscribe exactly to the official historical accounts of these encounters, but because of them, I attribute a divine origin to the church. At the same time, my sociological perspective and study have convinced me that the church, whatever its origin, is not immune to the human processes and natural historical developments common to all social institutions. In other words, despite its divine origin, the church has throughout its history functioned mainly as a human institution with divine intervention difficult to ascertain and probably rare. I have found this perspective helpful in my attitude towards the church and towards my emotional well-being in general. Since I expect the church usually to operate as a human institution and its leaders as human beings, I am occasionally disappointed, but never disillusioned. He goes on to say, I, the admonition, quote, follow the prophet, end quote, is given with an increasing frequency in the church. In many ways, it is wise counsel, and I accept it as a general rule. However, it is often transformed into a ritualistic slogan or mantra intended to stifle questions and differences of opinion, or else to override the agency of a church member seeking the direct counsel of the Holy Spirit for individual circumstances. The related folk maxim that, quote, obedience is the first law of heaven, unquote, does not accord with a reasonable reading of the scripture accounts of the war in heaven, where clearly agency was established prior to obedience among the laws in which our plan of salvation operates. When such slogans and maxims are employed for leverage by overzealous leaders, contrary to the counsel about, quote, unrighteous dominion, Doctrine and Covenants 121, then the church operates like any other human institution and it is entitled only to the same presumption of qualified loyalty that we give any other human institution. 
My understanding of human institutions and how they work has provided me with a kind of immunity to disillusionment. If the church is the most important repository of truth on the earth, then I would like to see more candor and transparency about the facts as well as about the truths of our own doctrine and history and less defensiveness about the anomalies, even when they are embarrassing. The church cannot prosper and retain the loyalty of its members if they come through it. Sorry, let me start that over. The church cannot prosper and retain the loyalty of its members if they come through its religious education programs unduly sheltered from our controversies in history and doctrine. For sooner or later, their ignorance will make them vulnerable to the one-sided anti-Mormon claim that they have been lied to. Okay, so let's just spend a moment. Let me just make sure I read everything I wanted to read. Okay, so let's just talk for a second about this idea. This, As a sociologist, he is he has reframed the institution of the church itself. The institution of the church is run by human beings. And he said that revelation is, let me go back to his actual words, a human institution with divine intervention, difficult to ascertain and probably rare. Okay, boy, that's sort of a little bit of a punch in the gut, right? Because I know, at least from my own perspective, I cut my teeth on the idea that the church was true. The church is true. Boy, that's a big old preposition, right? That's a big deal. If the church is true, then all things are true. So if you go back one episode with uh, what Nathan and I were talking about with the law of transitive properties, if one thing is true, then all of it is true. And you don't have to worry about all of the nuances. The deal is, you guys, as psychologically maturing human beings, it is actually our responsibility to worry about the nuances. It is our responsibility to take the beliefs, the teachings, the testimonies, the stories, the doctrine, the history, and to actually use our God-given brains and our God-given agency to discern and decide what feels true and to actually look at each point for itself and to decide which of these gospel principles is actually in line with the nature of our heavenly parents the nature of who they are and who we're trying to become being made over in in the image of god and therefore i'm here to say it is my belief as controversial as this may sound that an a la carte experience of or an a la carte perspective of the gospel of jesus christ is absolutely the most important thing that we can learn that it is less about obedience and more about agency or i may rephrase that and say Yes, it is about obedience, but it's not as much about obedience to the law as it is about obedience to conscience, and that conscience is cultivated as we become closer and closer to the divine. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the a la carte approach and how having the a la carte approach to the gospel of Jesus Christ actually helps us grow spiritually and become closer to, um, to God and also will help us as a body in the institution strengthen the church itself. Okay, first and foremost, uh, having an a la carte approach to the gospel will actually prevent a faith and trust crisis. When we are asked to eat the elephant whole, to believe the whole thing or to believe nothing, we are put in a bind where we're actually asked to do something that is not possible because it is run by um, men, men and women, mostly men, but it's run by human beings, just to keep it simple, and 
we're going to have a faith and trust crisis if we're asked to do anything other than use our own discernment and, and, and actually leverage our conscience that is given to us by God. And so if we use the a la carte approach, we can actually lean into what feels right, good and congruent and in the nature of God. Or, and we can lean away from and actually use our God-given agency to say, no, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't work for me. So contrary to some popular belief in the formal institution, it's actually better for us to use our minds, our hearts, to use the gift of the spirit, which is in fact the compass that should guide us towards all that is good, right, and true, and use that to decide which of the gospel principles and which of the teachings of the gospel make sense and are right. Okay, if we actually do that and we're cultivating a lot of spiritual you know, um, maturity and psychological agency, the, the beautiful thing is most of the time on the really fundamental things, if not maybe all of the time, we all will land in the same place. Is it good to, to love? Is it good to serve? Now with the service piece, we can use the a la carte approach and personalize that to make sense of how, when, and where it works for us to serve. Because in different times and places in our lives, sometimes serving, you know, extensively will fill our souls, fill our buckets. It'll be just the right thing to do. And other times and places, it is not going to be appropriate to ask everyone to serve the same amount or to do the same kind of service. Sometimes saying no is absolutely the most appropriate thing to do because of where we are in our own specific life situations. And as we grow in spirituality, we will be able to have the discernment and then, and then also have the courage to use that discernment to sometimes say no. It, this kind of a la carte approach also helps us because it allows the humans to be human. And I'm referring specifically to those humans that run the institution. It's a big job. I have a lot of compassion for how challenging it must be to run a multi-million person church. Lots of mistakes are made as they're made in any kind of institution. If we really kind of extricate the church from its sort of special divine need to be perfect sort of mandate that the church puts, on, puts upon itself and that therefore we uh, just follow and put upon it, if we just extricate ourselves from that kind of a trap, then we allow the humans running the church to be human. And we allow the church to be nothing more than an institution that has some divinity woven through it, but we also allow it to be extremely messy and complicated. Now I'm not excusing bad behavior and I'm not excusing things that have happened that have hurt a lot of people. So don't, don't go down that path on my behalf. Give me the benefit of the doubt here that I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm also saying that institutions are allowed to be imperfect. All of them are. And the people running them are also allowed to be imperfect. We run into trouble when we are not allowed to feel that they are imperfect and when we're not allowed to actually state that they're imperfect and when we're not allowed to actually process and as a body sort of be a part of the solution because we have been encouraged to not give any sort of feedback that is anything other than positive. So if we allow the humans to be human, we're allowing them to say things or do things or manage things in ways that are not perfect, that are maybe even incorrect, that are sort of shadowed by the human, the humanity of the people in charge, the people that are talking, the people that are governing. If we allow the humans to be human, we are allowing the church to be not perfect, and we are able to be in a more collaborative relationship as constituents of this organization. So therefore, that's why the a la carte approach makes more sense, which is by allowing the humans to be human, we're also allowing them to make mistakes, 
to get things wrong, to course correct. It encourages them to hopefully, if this were an adopted idea, then they could actually be a little bit more accountable. They could actually say, I sure big, did make a big mistake, or he sure made a big mistake 100 plus years ago, and we have been perpetuating it, and it's time for us to say we are sorry, and we have made a big mistake, and we're going to set our, you know, set, we're going to set this straight, and we're going to do something better. So if they are allowed to also choose the a la carte approach at the leadership level, meaning that they're able to double back and acknowledge and be accountable for mistakes are made, that were made, then they would be more healthy and we would be more healthy. <laughs> so all of us would benefit from not sort of digging in our hills and saying, it's been this way, it'll always be this way, and it must stay this way because it started this way. What I'm introducing here with the a la carte approach is a lot of flexibility an increasing amount of psychological flexibility, spiritual flexibility, and emotional flexibility, where we're all more flexible with the ideas, with the practices, with some of the doctrines, and certainly with our rendering of how to live the gospel of Jesus Christ in each of our lives. With more flexibility, we are all able to stay in the institution in a more collaborative way and in a way that actually works for us. I think uh, one of the greatest downfalls of us as a faith is we are extraordinarily rigid. And I think it's in this, it's in the spirit of loyalty. It's in the spirit of trying to do right. It's in the spirit of sometimes um, faith, but oftentimes it's more of a misguided faith because it's not questioning rigid. It's not a questioning of, does this make sense? Does this feel right? It's more like, well, it's always been this way or it's been this way for, you know, a, a number of years. And it was, uh, you know, it began a long time ago, um, the assumption being that it came by revelation from a prophet when further research shows that it didn't come by revelation. And the assumption then being that it has to stay this way, but there's just not a lot of investigation until sometimes um, a long time has passed and a lot of people have been hurt. Okay, my number three reason why I think that the a la carte, um, the a la carte perspective to gospel living is mandatory to our growth is it will prevent disillusionment. If we can see the church as an institution that is run by human beings where that are often or sometimes inspired, but where inspiration is, you know, sometimes very much not the case, then it actually puts us in a more healthy relationship with the institution itself. And it aligns us more closely with what really matters, which is our relationship with God. If we can maintain faith in and trust in God, and situate the institution as something as, um, as auxiliary or, or as an aside, meaning that it's an important thing and it's helpful sometimes, but not all the time, but it doesn't get in our way of the relationship that we're cultivating with God, then the institution itself can be a little bit more messy, can be living because that means it's a work in progress. We can be more collaborative and then we won't get as disappointed and disillusioned by all of the mistakes that inevitably happen in an institution. I think that's what happens. So let me say it this way. I've noticed as I have been visiting with and making more sense of the, the, the fear that runs through many people that are not ready to have conversations like we're having here on this podcast is they don't want to know because they don't want to be exposed to the possibility that the myth of all of the truths of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are not what they purport to be. I keep running into this over and over again, people that don't want to deal with the possibilities of the complexity of the church. They like the myth. And why wouldn't they like the myth? If this were really, 
you know, all true, 100%, and everything that everyone ever said was true, and we knew exactly why we're here, and we knew exactly where we were going, and who we were going to be with, and how, like, the pre-mortal existence was, and how life is, you know, what the, if we could make sense of all of the things, like, before, here, and then in, here, in the hereafter, that's, that's an incredible anxiety management tool, and so if anybody even nudges on them to question anything, it tips over the whole apple cart, you guys. It's, it's a big ask. It's a big deal to, to introduce the possibility of complexity. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe prophets have made mistakes. Maybe we have to pick and choose and use the a la carte approach because that is the only responsible way to be in relationship with our faith, with our Father in heaven, with our Mother in heaven, with ourselves, with our families. But that does also require an enormous amount of anxiety management. And so people say, I'm not interested. Allow me to keep my myth. And I've kind of gotten into the habit when this happens. And it just happened actually recently with me where we, I was having a conversation and I felt like I was, um, you know, I was an enjoyable conversation. It was, it felt like everybody was pretty comfortable and then something like flipped. And I had reached the end of the window of tolerance of, of this person who I was visiting with. And um, orthodoxy reared its ugly head and I was put into my place very, very quickly. And while this hurt, of course, a little bit, I quickly was able to sort of right myself and sort of recalibrate my insides and say, hey, this person is, a, is afraid. This person is scared. I'm introducing complexity into my approach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm introducing the possibility that maybe those people over there who have promised to know everything and to lead them back to God in this really clean and tidy way. I mean, I'm introducing that it may not be that way. And that's a terrifying prospect. It's a terrifying possibility that maybe it's not just that simple. Maybe it's much more complicated. Maybe, maybe it's possible that all the things they've been promised and taught aren't quite as simple and clean cut as they thought. And for some of us, that's something exciting and amazing and beautiful because we get to sort of become much more invested and interested in and really taking hold of our own faith development. For some of us, that's really exciting. But you guys, for some of us, it's terrifying. It's something that is absolutely undoing. And so we have to just take a step back, or this is at least what I did. And I thought, you know what? They need their myth a little bit longer. There's something going on that prevents them from being able to take a step into the darkness and recognize that this journey into true, deep, profound spiritual development, as complex as it is and as sometimes scary as it is, it's growth. It's very progressive. We are pro, <laughs> if I can say this right, we're progressing. Um, and the other kind of fear, the sort of orthodox fear is actually regressive. We're not moving forward. We're going backwards. And they're not ready yet. And so I have to have the, uh, hopefully I can have, and at least in this particular case, I, it was a good day for me, at least <laughs> after a little bit of a pause. And I was able to double back and say, okay, it's all right. It's okay. You kind of struck out at me because you're scared. It's not about me. It's your fear. And everybody's allowed to have their fear. And I think that's when we make things black and white. That's when we say, you're not allowed 
to have an a la carte relationship with the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to believe everything that everybody has ever said. And they don't want to listen to or think about or even entertain the possibility of like, what do you do with all those incongruencies? But we know from where we are, if you're listening, I think you're in the place where you're excited about and interested in the possibility that you can handle an a la carte relationship with the gospel of Jesus Christ, or at least you're willing to try. And the deal is, you guys, sometimes as we're doing this, and we're, we're willing to have a more complex relationship with the gospel, guess what? We're going to get it wrong. There may be things that we decide to throw out that we're going to have to learn some lessons about and discover and decide that maybe that wasn't the best choice. And guess what? That's perfectly okay. We're here to progress and we're here to grow and we're here to learn. And guess what? There's only one way we can do any of those things. It's by taking the gospel piece by piece and deciding what tastes good, what feels good, what fills us up, what brings us closer to our inner divine, to that essential self that um, wants to be in connection with God. And if we give ourselves the opportunity to try things on and from the a la carte perspective to, to choose against other things, we will understand truly what it is like to be made over in the image of God because we're going to have experiences that teach us that yes, this is good. I made good choices about what I, I drew towards me. And also we're going to discover sometimes that we didn't do it right. And then we're going to access the power of the, uh, the saving power of Jesus Christ's atonement. And we're going to double back and do it differently. And that is faith in action. And so this can't be, this can't be wrong. You guys, the a la carte approach has to be right because it's actually activating our inner divine, our agency, our power to choose, our power to, to, you know, going back to last week's episode, Nathan talked about Alma chapter 32, which is we choose into certain things and we taste it. We see if it tastes good. We use the scientific method and we move from a place of not so sure to I'm sure this tastes good. All the fruits are there. And then we move from a place of faith to a place of surety and certainty. And then we do the next thing and we taste a new element or essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we go through the same scientific process over and over and over again. And guess what, you guys, this process is what it is to be made over in the image of God. It is growing up our souls and it's helping us become closer and closer and closer to what it is to be God, to be like our heavenly parents. Okay, in closing, I want to just, I can't uh, go too many episodes without bringing in one of my, my, my favorite scientists, my favorite social scientist researcher, um, Adam Grant. You guys know that I love him if you follow this podcast. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about, I'm just going to strengthen my point here by throwing some of his words in here. He talks about the difference between the preacher, the prosecutor, and the politician. I love this idea. So check this out. I'm going to just read you a little bit here. He says this, as we think and talk, we often slip into the mindset of three different professions, the preacher, the prosecutor, and the politician. In each of these modes, we take on a particular identity and use a distinct set of tools. We go into preacher mode when our sacred beliefs are in jeopardy and we deliver sermons that protect and promote our ideals. We enter prosecutor mode when we recognize flaws in other people's reasoning, and then we marshal arguments to prove them wrong and to win our case. 
And finally, we shift into politician mode when we're seeking to win over an audience and we campaign and lobby for the approval of our constituents. The risk is that we become so wrapped up in preaching that we're right or prosecuting others who are wrong or politicking for support that we sometimes don't offer to rethink our own views. Okay, I'm, I'm like pausing on purpose. Preacher, prosecutor, and politician. And I'm here to say that none of these stances is actually psychologically and spiritually healthy. Even though we relate preacher to spirituality, a preacher is someone who is so worried about defending their own sacred beliefs that all they do is talk about how to protect and promote their ideals without actually pausing and thinking about it. So he has an answer to this. How do we overcome becoming a preacher, a prosecutor, or a politician? That's when he introduces the idea of becoming a scientist. He says this, being a scientist is not just a profession. It's a frame of mind, a mode of thinking that differs from preaching, prosecuting, or politicking. We move into the scientific mode when we're searching for the truth. We run experiments to test hypotheses and discover true knowledge. Scientific tools are not reserved for people with white collars and beakers, and using them does not require toiling away for years with a microscope and a petri dish. Hypotheses have as much of a place in our lives as they do in the lab. Experiments can inform our daily decisions. Okay, so what I'm trying to get at is that is, I think, for those of us who are here, truly invested in and interested in becoming spiritually mature people who are daily using psychological and spiritual agency, it's our responsibility to become scientists. And that's where I'm blending these two ideas. The a la carte approach to the gospel of Jesus Christ with the importance of becoming a true scientist, which means we look at the buffet, if you will, and we taste things. We try them on. We feel them. Sometimes we don't even need to taste them very much. We listen. Something goes off inside of us, that inner divine essential self that says, mm, that doesn't feel right. And then we have the, the personal confidence, the courage, sometimes in the face of our programming, to say that doesn't feel good. I, I don't choose to take that in. I don't choose to embody that in, in my discipleship as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We use this buffet approach, looking at, the, looking at the thing, becoming a la carte disciples as scientists, where we're truly activating this part within us that says, I am a discerning child of God. I can choose, I can taste, I can choose in, I can choose out, and I can see what the outcome is because the fruits will be there and we will feel something as we are being made over in the image of God. And so I'm here to say as we close, as I close you guys, that um, as a scientist of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the a la carte approach to the gospel is bold, it's brave. Some people are going to be very scared as they watch us and witness our uh, seemingly going off the rails <laughs> in their own orthodox minds. But hopefully what you'll feel is what I have felt, and it is a confirmation from the spirit that my bravery is being confirmed by God. 
And as a scientist, that is all the proof and evidence that I need, that I am being faithful and I'm showing courage and I'm overcoming the fear of my own past orthodoxy. And is that kind of person, that kind of scientist, the discerning part of me that is not interested in preaching, not interested in politicking, and not interested in prosecuting, but only interested in truly seeing, finding, discerning, and then living truth. That's all I've got to say, you guys. I hope you uh, took something from this. I hope this is feeding something deep within you. I'm drawn to doing this podcast, partly because it fills me up. It's helping me in my own faith journey. And also, I'll be honest, it's, it's really enjoyable to see that some of you are really getting something out of this. I'm, I'm really appreciating some of your private messages. Um, some of you have gotten on my Instagram page at Latter-day Struggles Podcast. I'm getting private messages from some of you. I'm just at Valerie Hamaker. And I'm also getting some good ratings and reviews from many of you who are, in fact, sharing. But that doesn't mean I don't want you to not share. Keep sharing. And if you are someone who is impacted by this, who feels like somebody finally gets you, I would invite you to please pause right now and jump on and please rate and write a positive review of this podcast. It takes a village to grow a church up. And I think we, as an institution, we need a lot of growing up. And those of us who are trying to grow up, it's so important for us to have the courage to really talk about this. Not everybody's ready, of course. I run into that left, right, and center. <laughs> but there are some people that are ready, and some of them may not be the people that you would expect. So share this podcast, subscribe, and I will see you guys next time. Take care. Bye-bye.